Welcome to Standing on My Soapbox, the podcast where we talk about the more serious side of topics, such as politics, religion, minority rights, or things we want to just take a bit more of a deep dive into. Join us here on Fridays as part of Left of Straight Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. Now jump up on my soapbox with me and let's start talking. Well, welcome back, everyone. Today, joining me on my soapbox, I'm thrilled to welcome Brian Derrick. He's a prominent figure in the political strategy fear and a fervent advocate for our LGBTQ rights and a possible upcoming contestant on Dancing with the Stars. We'll have to talk about that later. Brian's hailing from my current adopted state of Ohio here, but is making waves in New York as the visionary founder of Oath.Vote. It's a groundbreaking organization that really helps the dollar go where they're needed to go. We're going to talk about all of that in just a little bit. But first, take a look. We hear nonstop from Republicans. The border is a problem. The border, the border, the border. Joe should go down there. Kamala should go down there. Everyone should live on the border. And now suddenly when Democrats and Republicans come to the table and negotiate a deal, those very same people went running for the hills and want nothing to do with it. As the Republicans are already saying, it's DOA, it's dead on arrival. They will not Mm. vote for it. And that is because politics. Donald Donald J. Trump. Trump loves to talk about immigration and talk about the border at his rallies and in his ads and attack Joe Biden on it. And they are very, very afraid. It would undercut the Trump campaign and his message. I'm so sick of getting these texts from candidates begging for $5 when they have no shot at winning. So I got together with my friend and built a platform where you can give to candidates who actually need your money, but without giving them your data so they can't spam you later. It's called Oath. Probably my favorite part of the platform is the impact score, which will actually show you on a scale of one to 10 how much that candidate needs your help. So if you do get asked to donate to someone, you can just do a gut check on oath. And if they have a ton of money or they have no chance at winning, you can avoid wasting your donation. The platform is live now at oath.vote and it's free to use. So let me know what you think. I'm so excited to have you on, my friend. You are just killing it with Oath. I mean, you've been such a great staunch supporter of LGBTQ rights forever. Let's get my listeners a little familiar with me. Talk about your background a bit. And just growing up in Ohio, what kind of kid were you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm super excited to to be chatting with you today. And it sounds like there we have... Uh, a lot of parallels in in our upbringings as well as our current work and focus, especially in the LGBT space. Um, I started out my career in LGBT activism, working for Lambda Legal um, in their New York office. That's what moved me from Ohio to New York. And honestly, at, at my heart, I really am a street activist. Um, it's not something that I get to spend all my time doing anymore, but that's what um, I really enjoyed in in my 20s, probably more than anything, was community organizing and getting people out there and loud behind the the people and the causes that needed us most. And so um, over the last like 10 years, that's really included a lot of activism on behalf of the trans community, um, fighting mm-hmm. against things like Trump's trans ban, um, as well as advocacy for the members of our community who are most vulnerable, like LGBTQ homeless youth, um, and 
working with lots of the national LGBT organizations and also some local ones in New York to try to bring more people into the fold and show them that this work isn't over, that we need people to be engaged and paying attention, and um, that there are members of our queer family that need their help. Uh, and so trying to get people engaged and, and show them how they can do that. Well said. I love that. And yeah, it's just, uh, it's amazing how far the pendulum can swing. What I've been doing this show for eight years and my show started on July, one week after marriage equality was affirmed by the Supreme Court. I had my very first show one week after that. And so we go from that to where we are these days. It's just kind of crazy how fast things can turn and, and it's kind of gone all on one person. But we'll talk about that more in a bit. As far as your LGBT journey, when do you think you first kind of came out to yourself and when did you start finding your LGBTQ tribe? I came out to myself when I was 19, um, right around the same time that I came out to the rest of the world. It all happened in very quick succession. Um, I grew up, uh, I attended Catholic school growing up, um, but also with a, a knowledge that my um, mom's family was Jewish. Uh, and so kind of in this mixed in between kind of world where we would celebrate some Jewish holidays, some uh, and, and lots of, of Christian Catholic holidays. And I think that delayed my process quite a bit as I was trying to sort out um, what my own values system was and who I should be listening to. And it took me a while to figure out that the person that I needed to listen to more than anybody else was myself and that I knew enough. Um, and so once I did get there, it was a really joyous experience from that moment forward. It totally changed my life trajectory goals. I went from being a pre-med student uh, at Ohio State going in. I was like a, a real science nerd studying like mold gen and uh, microbio stuff to then switching to public affairs with a focus on civic engagement and nonprofit management, wanting to devote my life to social justice work um, because I wanted to make it easier for the next person. Um, and so mm -hmm. for whoever it was that was going to come out after me, whether that meant coming out as gay or trans, as a lesbian, as, as bi, whatever that meant, um, I just wanted to help make that, that process easier and make sure that people wanted um, to come out into a world that was ready and, and willing to accept and, and celebrate them. And so that's what I really transitioned my focus to being, got more involved in um, advocacy work that, that led to ultimately the career that I, I have today. Um, but yeah, it really all started with that, that coming out process um, uh, a long time ago. <laughs> That's such an amazing story. Now, was was it all self-actualized, the, ad, the advocacy? I mean, just seeing what, what you had to maneuver going through and growing up, or was there other events that kind of led you into advocacy? What, was there a turning point or just kind of was a natural progression from this is what um, my story was, and I want to make sure no one else has the same story, has at least one better story than I do? Yeah. Um... I mean, my whole network, my family, my friends were very supportive of me. Um, and I was very lucky in that sense, because I know people who lost their, their relationships with their family when, when they came out. And for me, 
while I'm so grateful for that, I also still saw the, still experienced and saw the fear and sort of the danger that people um, are subject to when they come out in certain parts of this country and in certain places, um, even in like liberal enclaves, right? Depending on who your immediate um, uh, support network is. And so my jump into I want to work on this full time was really inspired by the gap that I saw between how things could be and how things should, I feel like, be um, in the world, not just relating to LGBT equality, although that was, of course, like my intrinsic, like personal experience, but also as it relates to race and wealth inequality and all of these other pieces that I as I leaned in to my LGBT activism, learned more and more about and learned more and more how they intersected um, and how the same systems that ultimately made me feel so alone before I came out and that made me feel um, so terrified, honestly, as, as a young person, were also having damaging effects on people of other communities that were not necessarily LGBT. And so I gained a very specific and persistent interest in those systems and how they could be changed or uh, abolished altogether. That's amazing. And we're going to talk all about Oath and the amazing technology involved in that in a minute. But talk about, just in your experience, how has the landscape for political advocacy changed? You've been doing this now a long time, and, there, and there's always a different thing changing. And obviously, the technology is huge, which we'll talk about in Oath in a bit. But what else have you noticed in the landscape that's been changing over the years, maybe too slowly, maybe quickly, that you see kind of evolving? Yeah, it a lot has changed. Honestly, in in just the years that I've been active full time in political and and social justice work, and that's nothing compared to the history of the movement overall. But things change right. really quickly in this space, and it's important that we are able to adapt and grow and learn and um, incorporate the experiences of our community's elders, the LGBT community in particular, where you aren't necessarily raised into it, but you're socialized um, to, to learn about your people and the history of our community and, and these kinds of um, things like have to be taught. And so I think that it's really important that we are passing that along because those are the tools that we need in order to succeed in the challenges that we face ahead. And so while the landscape changes, and we could talk about exactly what those changes are, um, we can still learn lessons. And I still draw on the lessons of people like Larry Kramer and Barbara Giddings, and of course, right. Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera and um, Frank Kameny and like all of these incredible LGBT icons that, would, that were very important, honestly, in, in that transition that I made into this being my focus for, for my life and my work. Um, the lessons that they teach us are still relevant. And so it's, it's simultaneously like, yes, things change really fast. And the tools and the knowledge that have been passed down from generation to, gener to generation of activists are still as relevant and as powerful as they always have been. And that's um, about the, the power of strategic and coordinated action, the power of organizing and of moving a community and applying uh, a large force to a small uh, pressure point, so to speak. 
Um, and we've seen that happen again, whether you look back to the AIDS crisis, AIDS epidemic, um, or whether it's um, fighting against anti-trans healthcare policies that are happening right now. The lessons are the same, even though the battlefield and the front lines have changed, the messaging has changed, the issues of focus have changed, the culture has changed, um, but the tools and the determination that our community has always used to win are still there and are still effective. Yes, well said. Yeah, I have our last week's guest on Standing on My Soapbox was Robert Keston from the uh, down at the Stonewall Archives and Library in Fort Lauderdale. And you talk about history and how important that is. I think that's another thing that we need to kind of talk about and talk about being progressive where we're at now. We have people like Brandon Wolf and Richie Torres and all these great people um, in advocacy and in politics now kind of working up. What do you think was one of your proudest accomplishments? You worked on a lot of campaigns and worked, like you said, with Atlanta in a lot of different places. What's some of your highlights of your accomplishments that you find yourself most proud of? Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. Um, well, in 2022, we launched Oath. Um, which is a, a platform that, as you mentioned, is designed to help donors of any giving level make the most impact on the issues that they care about. And through just word of mouth and the power of social media and um, some relationships with community leaders, we were able to motivate more than 10,000 people to give over $2 million to state and local races in 2022. Um, that's without buying lists and spamming people to death or running a bunch of ads. We had no money. We had no staff. I was working a different <laughs> full-time job, but me and my co-founder nights and weekends were just hustling to say like, someone has to be doing this. Like someone needs to show people where their dollars will have greatest impact and make those five and $10 matter because they do, right? Like it, it matters a lot when you send it to the right place. And that is probably the proudest accomplishment of my career was the amount of work that we put into that um, is so clearly reflected in the power that we were able to build in our Oath community. And then not, you can't always control outcomes, but we did happen to have uh, excellent outcomes in the 2022 midterms for the races that we focused on flipping key state legislative chambers, holding key offices, keeping election deniers out of office, um, and making a real difference in states for LGBT people, right? We were focusing on these areas that were going to be key for reproductive rights, for LGBT equality, for gun safety, climate change. All of these issues are happening at the state and local level. And so the ability to grab people's attention in a really noisy world, direct them to something that we cared an awful lot about and make a meaningful difference there was so meaningful to me. It's like addicting. And so here we are doing it again in, in 2024, um, only, only bigger and better. That is fantastic. Well, brag on Taylor a bit too. Um, talk about how you two met and what kind of was the impetus of starting this and putting all those long hours into it. Absolutely. There's no way that Oath would exist without her. Um, Taylor Arada, my co-founder, and I met freshman week at Ohio State. Um, excuse me, first week freshman year 
at Ohio State. Uh, we were freshmen for more than a week. And uh, we've been best friends ever since. So I've been best friends with her for like 13 years. I went into the political and advocacy space and sort of did my thing. She went into the tech and data space at Accenture and other like Fortune 50 firms and learned how to build incredibly complex um, data systems and simplify them for users to drive meaningful um, insight and, and uh, impact. And so we combined forces after the 2020 cycle and said, hey, like there's this problem, people are getting tons of spam. They don't really know. People care. They want to help. They don't really know where to start. Let's build something to help direct our friends to, to where um, they can make a meaningful difference because we know so many, so many people who, who want to, to help. And that's really what started it all. We, we, had, we did not set out to build something that we were going to launch as a national <laughs> platform. Uh, we did not set out to create something that was going to be our full-time jobs. We just wanted to solve a problem that we were experiencing. And uh, I'm very lucky to get to do that work alongside someone that I care about so much. And also that's so brilliant and talented as, as she is. Oh, such a great match there. I love that. I love that you had that friendship to build on before even going into this. Let's jump into Oath 2. I mean, I came across you. You were you were a guest on the Gayish podcast. I love listening to other podcasts. And that's where I kind of first, I honestly had not heard about it. I'm surprised as political as I am. But I dug into it and I dug in quick. I mean, this is an amazing platform you guys have built. As you said, spam... My mom always puts my, my mom is a big political activist as well, but she's 85 years old, just turned 85. So she puts my email, my phone number on everything she signs up for. And she <laughs> signs up for way too many things. So I get email blasts and I get text blasts about every five seconds on my phone. And, and you're right. It's, it's almost become spam because it's not interested, interest that I'm necessarily interested in. It's kind of causes they're looking for. But then as I started to explore Oath when I first found you and everything, you can the filters are amazing. Everything from LGBTQ equality, reproductive rights, climate change, gun safety, protecting democracy, flipping the house, next generation leaders, which I love. I mean, it's just great that you can kind of filter those things. The brainchild behind this, it's just amazing what you guys have done. Thank you so much. And that really is the the pivotal dynamic shift that we were going for is we didn't want to um, come up with a plan and then ask donors to help us achieve it, which is, I think, the dynamic of a lot of organizations. But more so, we wanted to ask donors, what's important to you? Like, what are you looking to achieve? Is it the issues that, that you just mentioned? Is it a specific state? You want to focus just on Ohio, where you live or Pennsylvania, where you're from, you want to focus just on state legislative races or just school board races. There are so many places in our democracy that we have power if we have knowledge. And we just wanted to provide people that knowledge to say, great, go off and make an impact in that race or on that issue in that state. Here's how. Here, here are the races, here are the candidates that need your help the most. And so we analyze thousands of elections at every level of the ballot in order to find those sort of like crown jewels where they're really under the radar, they're under-resourced, they're super competitive, they need help. Um, and then we just connect them with the people who are already mission aligned and looking to make a difference in those kinds of races. 
Exactly. And as you expanded upon, like I, I put some of the key topics there, but there is that search bar. You can put anything you want, and it really is an amazing algorithm. It'll pull this information. Um, I, I love the way that works, and I think that it's really important, too, that uh, you kind of give a quality score, too. Explain to them what that means and how that kind of helps influence what you're doing and what the needs are with that. Yeah, as we evolved the platform, that was something that we always had dreamed of, but have only been able to implement um, thanks to the growth that we sustained in 2023 and building out our own team to, to help us achieve it. And, and that's our impact score. And that is a very simple um, numeric signal to donors on a scale of one to 10, how impactful are my dollars in this race? And it's based on three metrics, competitiveness, stakes, and financial need. And the goal is that the higher the score, the more, the more meaningful it is to give my $10, my $100, my $1,000 to this race. Because there are a lot of races who are out there with a lot of Facebook ads or texting you a bunch of times who might not actually have a path to victory. Or they have a clear path to victory but they already have so much money that they really don't need additional funds. Um, and so we wanted to be able to signal to people where their dollars would go the furthest because by our estimation, we already have all the resources that we need in the ecosystem. It's just about allocating them more efficiently. Um, right now, we spend hundreds, million, hundreds of millions more dollars on U.S. Senate races than Republicans do. And we spend much, much less. We are outraised consistently in a lot of down ballot races, especially state legislature. So it's just about reallocating funds. And in order to um, sort of realign people's perspectives and preferences, you have to share better information. And so the impact score was our simple way where anyone can search the name of a candidate or a state and um, very quickly see our assessment as to the, the value of their donation there. And what has been your challenges both in the election side and in the tech side that you guys have had to know? How do you kind of balance that? Have you had anything you've had to really overcome or anything that surprised you? Yeah. Well, moving money in the political space is much harder than selling T-shirts online or, or like <laughs> some other very simple sort of transactional business. Uh, it's highly regulated. And so we needed to make sure that we were doing it in a way that was really transparent to both donors and the campaigns that we were meeting all of the legal requirements. And so we've had partners help us um, get to that point, which has been really helpful and, and instrumental. Um, when people give on oath, the money goes straight from the donor to the candidate. Oath doesn't take the money. We don't take control of the money. We don't decide where it goes. And we don't take a cut. Uh, we just are sharing information and recommendations. And so getting to that point where that could work seamlessly was a bit of a process. But um, that's been up and running for, for quite some time now. And on the tech side, we have an amazing team. Um, I'm not technical by nature or trade. <laughs> uh, coming from the political space, working with engineers and developers was very new to me. But we have this rock star team um, that is from like GoFundMe and CrowdRise and these other um, 
organizations and platforms that, that have helped donors build sort of new kinds of experiences and powerful tools before. And so they've really helped us shape what our roadmap looks like to not just give a better user experience, but also add entirely new functionality into the platform and into the space. I will preview here first that in the near future, we will be releasing um, an enhancement that will allow individual donors to see how many friends they invite to the platform and how those people support different candidates across the country so that you can see the impact of your network, not just your own personal impact. Um, and we've also implemented things like personal budgeting so that if you say, okay, well, I want to spend $200 on elections this year, we can help you figure out exactly when and where to send those $200 based on your specific priorities and, and issues. And so things like that have been actually a real joy to build um, because we get such good responses from uh, our users and donors. That's fantastic. I'm with you. I am not technology. I did the first five seasons of this on telephone radio only because I just didn't, uh, I didn't really understand the video. I always say I have the face for radio. I didn't like being on camera. So it's kind of like, it's a whole new thing, but it's kind of fun to learn about a little bit. Be on the Absolutely. sidelines, right? I learn something every single day in my job. I will tell you that starting something new is very hard and requires a bit of like delusional belief in yourself and, and in your team, your, your partners, um, which I'm sure you understand having created, um, adventures of your own. And, um, yeah, you, you, you learn a lot every single day. Right. Now talk about the role of technology and advocacy and political engagement, through how do you kind of find ways to work that on all sides? I mean, seniors are not big savvy. This is seniors. I mean, seniors are a big voting block, but they don't necessarily have all the savviness of online. They're getting a lot better. But how do you kind of find yourself reaching out to the different markets? We talk about young voters who are hugely computer savvy, but don't seem to be as activated this year. Talk about going your demographics. How do you figure your demographics out? Absolutely. When you talk about technology in the political space, for me, it's never really a question of if, it's just a matter of how. And mm. introducing technology to the political process is inevitable when you think about things like AI. And I think it's not very productive to, to say, oh, well, should we do this? Should we do this? It's like, it's going to happen. So how can we prepare? How can we do this safely, effectively, and in a way that supports and promotes democracy, rather than in a way that harms people, marginalizes communities, helps the powerful at the expense of the, the not powerful? Um, and so that's how we've approached this as well, is like algorithms, for example, are sort of an inevitability in the world that we live in. And so we wanted to use the power of that to um, unlock potential and, and to, to even the scales between the, the super rich who have always had access to this kind of data um, or have for a long time and grassroots donors who might not. And so when I think about our average user, average donor, um, they really range from people in their 30s up through people in their 70s and 80s. We have um, a few organizations that we work with where all of their members give through oath. And one of them in particular, 
is based in New York and most of the members are in their 70s and, and 80s. And it's a learning process for sure because they think about and approach and use technology differently than I do or than, or than uh, me and my team, yeah. who of course, lots of my team are engineers. So they use it differently than me. But um, you have to think about that. And you, it's about including those people in the conversation early on from like the design standpoint is you don't build something and then try to sell it to a bunch of different people in a different way. You include those people at the outset and say, how would you use this? Or what does this uh, mean to you if we say this or design it this way or, or, or um, point you in this direction? And so incorporating that feedback early on was, was important for us, but we really do see as both as a platform for everyone. We've reached most of our users through social media. And so we definitely have a bias there um, in our current user base for people who are social media active. That skews a bit younger, but because the donor audience skews a bit older, um, we're still talking about people in their 40s, 50s, 60s um, being our, our core audience. Um, and so the goal is to make it usable for everyone and uh, their crowd and their family and friends along. And make it enjoyable. I mean, I teased in the intro about Dancing with the Stars. You really kind of put personality behind it, use the social media. Talk about how that all came about. And uh, is it as fun for you as it is for yeah, everyone that watches? Is. Um, I. When I'm having fun on social media, I am authentically having fun. Like it is not uh, an act or a facade or that, that I put on. I think that there is joy missing from our political system and from our um, political landscape right now. There's so much negativity. I think that's amplified by algorithms that really um, like to promote content that creates outrage and fear and anger. And I want to be the counter programming to that because I think that that's the default. Cynicism now is the default. And I want to counter program that for people and pull them out of that endless doom spiral to the bottom and instead say, hey, actually, when you look past the news feed of it all and what's being served up to you on a platter to make you feel hopeless, there actually are lots of good things happening too. I'm not saying everything's perfect, but I'm saying you're missing the good stuff. You're, you're not being shown the good stuff online. It's not designed to show you that. It's designed to show you the bad stuff. And so I'm going to try and show you the good stuff. One way that we can do that is by really celebrating the wins. When something great happens, don't just keep swiping and ignore it. Stop, pause, celebrate the moment because those are the things that we all spend so much time pushing for and fighting for. And that's what I think um, reinvigorates your, your passion and right. your dedication to this work. Um, if you don't celebrate the wins, you can only move backwards from where you are right now right? You need some wind at your back sometimes to move forwards. And so I try to be the wind at people's back and I lean in when there's a big win, even if that means just a simple state legislative race um, in uh, Pennsylvania or in New Hampshire or something like that. Maybe that's going to get a dance on, on Instagram because we need, we need a little bit more dancing that day. There you go. Such a right way to look at it. I mean, we have to have, the, I mean, it could swallow you up whole. I think you put that on your Instagram about the, the kind of abyss you can get into there. But it, you can, you can get trapped in the negative and, 
and you only have that mm -hmm. microcosm view of your own place, right? And I think that's what I like about this site is I can see what's happening back in California where I grew up and I can see what the races are looking like there. I can see what's happening in different areas. And there's different successes in different parts of the country, right? And we need to do all these little successes are going to lead to the bigger successes. So 2024, huge political year, obviously. Um, and the great thing about Oath is you're there forever because there's always some state race or some other kind of race. So there's always going to be something going on. But of course, 2024 is huge. What do you think is the biggest needs right now for us politically to really get yes, out there? Of and course, do? everyone's attention is on the presidential um, and the rematch that nobody really asked for with um, Biden v. Trump. My <laughs> honest advice for the people who are already politically engaged, which if you even if you if you even identify as politically curious then you're already much farther along than the average voter, the average person in the country who actively avoids this, this stuff. If you're engaged at all, look down ballot. The presidency will happen as it's going to happen. Um, and I'm not saying that it, it's not important work because it is, but no matter how many people I go tell that to, um, there will still be an endless supply of money and time and volunteers for the presidential election. There just there just will be. Um, they have instant access to all of the media and all of the channels that they could possibly want. When you look down ballot, there's so much at stake. When you think about the issues that we are all talking about every day, the anti-LGBT legislation going on, the abortion bans being passed, criminal justice reform, climate change decisions at the local level, which really matter, um, book bans and school board races, these things will go completely unresourced if people like us, and I mean you, the person listening to this, do not step in to that void. Um, and that's what's happening right now. That's what's, that's what's going on all the time. And so my, my call to action for people who are engaged is to find something else to focus on this year. Even if you do continue to engage in the presidential, find a companion race to go alongside that. There are 11 governor's races, 10 attorneys general, seven secretaries of state, 82 state Supreme Court seats, 13 state legislative chambers that could flip one way or the other. Um, there are 2,000 prosecutor and sheriff's races around the country, 20,000 school board seats that are up for election. Find one or a couple. Um, you can use oath to find them and just adopt that race and stay really focused there, whether, whether it's where you live or it's um, somewhere you have, you have family. I think that that's the most impactful thing that you can do, whether you're volunteering, you're donating, you're making calls, you're talking to friends. Um, Finding someone who doesn't have those kinds of resources is where you're going to see the biggest impact for the input that, that you can put in, the efforts that you can put in. I think that's so true. I do phone banking every year out of my house here for things. And I've had people call already that was back when last election cycle, are you going to be doing phone banking? It said, yeah, but we also had a just veto of the trans bill here of the governor's trans bill. So let's talk about that as well. And I think it's so well said that you talk about having companion pieces to work on because it's, it's, you really need to check about the different issues that are local there. So I, I do love that. And speaking of that, it kind of gives me a good question because I remember 
I didn't phone bank for Biden. I phone bank for Hillary Clinton sure. last time. I've done a lot of different things for other people. And the thing that frustrated me the most, I had people over. Yeah. The lists were so out of date of people that were different things. Half the phone calls you would make were non-numbers. Are you able to use your technology to work with other organizations and keep databases up to date outside of both? Yeah, or one of our commitments to our donors on the platform is that we will not pass their contact information along to any of the recipients of their donations or anyone else. We never sell data. We don't share or swap donor contact data with anyone. And so that allows donors to come onto the platform and don't and make a donation. You might split a donation five ways between five really critical state legislative races or ballot initiatives or something. And you know that you're not going to go get put on five more lists because people just can't deal with the the incoming texts and the email solicitation anymore. And so we don't participate in that specifically. But I guess what I will say around that is that there are more and more tools and technology and organizations that are focused on other ways to reach people. And so phone banking will continue to be important. I'm not going to knock, I'm not knocking phone banking, but there are also things like relational um, organizing platforms and tools that show you, oh, well, your friend Suzanne actually lives in a really competitive house district in Pennsylvania. Um, they can tell that from your your contact right. list or because you put her information in. Um, and there are really cool technologies and tools that, that do these kinds of things. And then it's not you calling a stranger and an unknown number on their phone, but it's you calling Suzanne and checking in with Suzanne to say, hey, I just wanted to make sure you knew that there was an election. You're actually in a really important district and there's a candidate there that I would love to tell you about a little about right and suddenly like that's the most effective way to turn out voters and to to get through to people and the last thing I'll say just in 15 seconds is when it comes to young people it's really hard to reach them via text or phone really really hard and so it's also about being in the places that they already are you have to meet people where they are and that's on TikTok and on Instagram and on these platforms that young people spend up to eight hours a day watching video content. Um, and if you don't have a voice there and a presence there, then they're not going to hear much about you at all, whether you are phone banking to them or not. And so that's part of, you asked earlier about like what's changed in the space and it's changed in the LGBT advocacy space and it's changed in the political space that like the messaging machines that you need to build now are much more advanced and they're much more um specialized and sort of like user generated um but that's the only way to reach people now in in organic ways and back to what you said that's been our been our biggest tool for lgbtq advocacy is reaching out and learning and meeting people one-on-one -on -one, talking to aunt Susie, who you were afraid to come out to because you know she's really conservative and saying, look, it's still me, Aunt Susie. And this is why I think it's real important for you to kind of look at these kind of views of what's happening here. Because I think reaching out to those common people, like you said, finding out who's interested in what state races, that's so amazing. So good job on you guys for doing that. I'm so incredibly proud of you, Brian, and just think it's a fantastic organization. I do, on my Left or Straight show, I do five questions with at the end that I play the next week, which is kind of fun, fun, goofy questions. For Soapbox, I can take a little more seriously. I like to do five takeaways. So help me do five takeaways for the listeners here. Let's start with the importance of local and state races. You touched on it. Um, talk, is there any 
ones that are hitting your hot button right now of some hot um, local races? And what is the importance? Remind people again what the importance of a state and local race is as opposed to yeah, the presidency Yeah, I think that with state and local races, you can see things change really quickly um, in a way that it's often difficult or, or impossible at the federal level. Look at Minnesota last year um, or in 2022, we flipped the state Senate and since then have passed a really ambitious climate and paid family leave and sick uh, leave policies, new red flag laws, um, anti-discrimination laws. The list goes on and on of what has been accomplished in Minnesota. And so you can make a huge difference. Um with just a handful of votes because the Minnesota Senate was flipped with about 2,500 votes, which is nothing at all, but has made a big difference in millions of people's lives. So the takeaway there is that things move really quickly and they move on small margins. So one person or a small group of people can make a big difference. Very, very nice. And what is your takeaway on today's power of the pen? We used to always hear, write your state representatives, write your local representatives. Is that still a good tactic? Is it a better place to put your emails and writings to? Still as um, impactful as it always has been, whenever you can make it personalized. I think that some of some of the templated responses um, have lost some of the, the weight because they know that it only takes someone five seconds to shoot off a, a template response. So it works when it has huge volume. Um, but I think that if you are taking the time, if you're able to just write a four, it doesn't have to be long, a four sentence email or a letter, um, make the phone call. It does matter. They're, they are logged. I have worked with um, members of Congress and other kinds of representatives who monitor those things really closely. So it absolutely does matter. Fantastic. And what's your takeaway to be a candidate for office? Say someone is getting politically minded. They really think that they can make a difference. They're passionate about the school board. They're passionate about the library board. They're passionate about their region or their their township. Talk about the takeaway on what it takes to be a good Number candidate for office. Is run. These days. You you should run. Um, we need we need people. We need you. Um, I think that to be a great candidate, the first thing that you need is to care an awful lot. And that's what makes someone a good civil servant in this country is someone who is doing it for the right reasons. And so if you feel motivated by the issues, um, whether that's attacks on the LGBT community or the fight over repro rights, um, voting rights, anything like it, then now is the time to step up. Um, because if you don't, then maybe no one will, right? And that's how we get into this backslide. That's how we get into the the problems that, that we're experiencing now. There are great organizations to help you. I would check out Run for Something would be my first stop on that journey. They have amazing trainings, free resources for candidates, how to run a campaign, um, how to file to run, all of those kinds of challenges. Uh, so I would go to Run for Something. Fantastic. Great advice. All right. Uh, third takeaway you could share. Talk about, or fourth, we're in fourth already. Um, talk about the best practice that we just touched on a second ago on friends and family in politics. Is, is it best to, we don't want to be too confrontational. We don't want to be too <laughs> mamby-pamby, for lack of a better word about it. What, how do you talk 
what what's your template and takeaway for talking? Say you're really passionate about an issue, but it's just not grandma's cup of, cup of tea. How do you suggest approaching that? I have a politically mixed family. So I have holiday dinners across the table from uh, two-time Trump voters. And so I know this this is very personal for me. I think the most important thing is just to decide what your goals are going in. In my experience, if your goal is to convince someone of something, you've probably already lost. Um, I think that the goal should be to find areas of agreement, first and foremost. Only by starting in those areas of agreement can you move into a place where you can deepen understanding, their understanding of you and your beliefs, your understanding of them and their beliefs. And that's how people change hearts and minds. Um, it's not from a list of facts and figures or by poking holes in their argument. Um, you just back someone into a corner that way. And oftentimes they'll double down. So look for areas that you can actually agree and really spend time in those spaces and like figuratively. And, um, I think that things flow more naturally from that point and, and know that you um, can, can only do so much and that we're all responsible for our own uh, perspectives. Very good. And say it from love. You're not trying to start Absolutely. an argument. You're trying to start a conversation. So it's like you don't want to go in with preconceived this is why you need to do this. You need to talk about, this is why I feel it's important to me. I want to hear why it's important to you. And let's, uh, let's see, we can agree. So very well said on that. And finally, uh, give me your takeaway for, we're getting all these, my listeners to go to Oath.Vote today. What's the first couple places they should check out? How should they start to navigate themselves through there? What do you see a lot of first timers go through when they get so, to the um, site? The first time you sign up at Oath, you can let us know what issues you care about most, um, how often you want to see receive recommendations from us. And if you are planning to donate, what your approximate budget is, $5 a month, $5,000 a month, we, we see it all, honestly. And then we will send you personalized recommendations throughout the cycle to make the most of, um, of your donations. And so you can, at any time you're feeling motivated, or if something happens, there's a Supreme Court ruling or a new law is passed that you love or you hate, um, oftentimes we'll have resources set up right away to direct you to to the thing to do that's going to be the most strategic response to that. So it's there for you all the time. But if you want to kind of um, lay back and have the recommendations come to you, we can we can do that as well. Brian, Derek, thank you so much for being on Standing on My Soapbox, standing right here besides me. You and Taylor have created an amazing organization let my listeners know where they can find your website and where they can follow you on social Absolutely. media. Maybe get a dance um, Well, two. you can visit Oath at Oath.Vote um, and check out the platform there. And you can always find me at Brian Derrick on social media platforms. All right. Well, that there you go, guys. Standing on my soapbox every Friday here in the Left of Straight Podcast Network. Brian, Derek, you're going to have to come back throughout the political season here. I don't think we're going to find any uh, shortage of topics to talk about. Next time you come visit the family, fly into Columbus, I'll buy the coffee and drive you the rest of the way, and we'll have a that great sounds great. I can't wait, person, my friend. 
All right, stay on the line for me. Guys, we appreciate you every Friday right here on Setting My Soapbox. Be sure to watch all the Leftist Right podcasts Monday through Friday for you. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Standing on My Soapbox, brought to you by Left of Straight Podcasts. We appreciate Brian Derrick of Oath.Vote joining me on my soapbox and sharing his keen insights in politics and how to make your money work in the most cost-effective way possible through their amazing algorithm. Be sure to subscribe to Left of Straight Podcasts, give us a five-star rating after listening, follow us on social media, and share with your friends. Have a great weekend, everyone.